Hi everyone, Pastor Michael here, and I want to thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. I want to encourage you to use this resource in addition to, and not in place, of belonging to a local church body as you grow in your faith. If this sermon is a blessing, would you consider giving back to Springs Church? You could do that by giving on the app or by visiting the gift tab on our website at springs.church. I pray this sermon increases your passion for Christ and helps you grow in your walk with God. Morning, Springs Church. Merry Christmas to everybody. So good to see all of you. We'll take a second here just for you to take all of this in just for a moment. So get out your cameras. You you get it twice a year. Comes Christmas, it comes Easter. That's it. So I'm putting my jacket on. Just get a picture if you like. There you go. Everybody good? All right, I can't preach in it. It gets way too hot. So I got to take it off. So I'm going to take it off. I'm going to put it over here. You know, yesterday I was preparing for Michelle Miranda's memorial. And as I was coming down the steps, I was putting on my suit. I have a, a, a black Hugo Boss suit and I was putting on a nice tie and I put on my nice watch and I was getting all ready. And my parents are in town for Christmas. My parents came and they're sitting down there. And, and for some of you who don't know, my parents are from Jersey. And when they saw me come down, I had the suit on and I had the, the Tom Ford tie and I had the nice watch and I had everything put into place. They kind of looked at me and this is, my mom almost cried. I said, mom, what do you, what's your issue? She says, this is how I remember you. This, this, this is what you were like when you left New Jersey. And, and then I looked at her, I said, mom, you're going to go into shock, but I got to tell you something. She says, what's that? I said, I only have one suit left. I, I used to have like five or six suits. I mean, I had Dolce & Gabbana. I had Ted Baker. I had Shippey & Holmes. I, I mean, I had some serious designers. And I told her, I said, all that is gone. I got one suit for memorials and weddings, and that is it. And she looked at me, and she's kind of teary-eyed. And you know what she said? Her jaw dropped, and she said, well, you better get out there and get some more suits then. And I looked at her, I said, Mom, you got to understand something. I ain't coming back to Jersey. I'm a Colorado man now. That's what I told I said... I said, I, I'll wear suits once in a while, but I'm a Colorado man. I, and then I said this. I said, the only way you're ever going to get me back to Jersey, there's only one way, and that's not with suits. Listen to me. That's with food. <laughs> and I told her, I said, if you'll agree that if I came back to New Jersey, me, I, I uprooted my family, and I came back, I came back to New Jersey, you have to agree every single day you'll come over to the house and you'll cook breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and I want, I want Italian antipasto. I want real rigatoni with gravy. None of this weak red little sauce. I want brujol. I, I want Italian sausage. I want meatballs. You gotta, and I want zeppelis. I want real cheesecake. I want the real stuff. If, if you agree that you'll do that, you'll bring it over to the house, Taylor ham, egg, and cheese. You gotta bring it every single day. You got to bring that. You got to bring pizza. I said, if you'll bring that, I I will consider moving back. And she kind of looked at me. So just to let you know, I might not be here next Sunday if she actually agrees, but she already let me know she's not going to agree. And I said, that's right, because I'm a Colorado man. That's what I told her. Amen. Amen. Oh, Springs Church, are you ready to get into the word this morning? We're going to get into the word together. This is going to be our last message on the series where we have been going through the genealogy of Jesus. Uh, We talked a little bit about Ruth. We talked about uh, an immigrant who found favor with God. And then we went on and we talked about a no-name woman who found favor with God. And today I want to talk about, obviously, a virgin that found favor with God. Amen. So do me a favor. Turn to Luke chapter 1, where you're at. Get to Luke chapter 1. And I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to begin to jump in. Well, Father, we thank you for your goodness this morning, Lord. We thank you 
for the gift of Jesus. I don't know if we can ever say that enough. I don't know if we can ever just not take time to say, you know what, thank you for that gift just one more time, one more time. It is the gift above all gifts. It is the ultimate gift. And Lord, today as we get into your word, I believe that through that gift and through the opening that you've made through your spirit with your people, there are things that you want to speak to our hearts. I believe with everything in me, this is a timely word. There are times I come to this pulpit, I feel like, well, I'm teaching through a passage or I'm doing this. I feel this is a timely word. I was going in a complete different direction this week. I was putting some things together. I had a whole message. And then Wednesday, I was down in my basement just by myself. I was just sitting in my basement alone. And suddenly your presence came on me. And I felt like you were just downloading things to my heart, just downloading. And I began to change things. And I really feel that this word is for somebody in this room this morning, Lord. And I pray that there would be an anointing on it. That it would not be just words. It would not just be knowledge. But there'd be a power that would be in the midst of these words. There'd be a power as we read through the scriptures where you would begin to speak, where you would begin to connect dots, where people would say, I feel like God sees me this morning. I, I, I feel like through the power of God, he's telling me I'm there. He's answering my questions. He's convicting me of things that I need to let go of. He's dealing with things in my heart. He's building up my faith. He's strengthening my spirit. We pray that there'll be a move this morning through the anointing of God and that we aren't here just to hear a Christmas message but we're here to actually encounter the Christmas gift itself. We're here to encounter the life of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. God, communicate these things today. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Everyone at Luke chapter one, just keep it open in your laps just for a second and we'll get to it in just a moment. You know, if you ever had the opportunity to attend one of my family's Christmas dinners, it was interesting, to say the least. And one of the reasons it was so interesting is because my family was full of all sorts of characters. Um, you had my cousin Joey, who for fun would dress up like the Pope around his house. You would answer the door, and there was the Pope. I mean, he got so bad, he had an oil painting of himself as the Pope actually made up and he hung it in the foyer of his home. So you'd come in and there's him as the Pope, right? With his little dog. And, and uh, cousin Joey, he always drove around in this blacked out Lincoln town car with Italian flags all over. It looked like he was driving some transportation from the Italian embassy. But then if that wasn't enough, you had my mom and Aunt Gloria and Aunt Teresa who all wore the darkest sunglasses you can imagine. And not in the middle of the day. Oh, no, 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 that would be normal. No, no, no. They would wear those sunglasses at night in the house at the dinner table. There was a time my mom looked at me and said, we need to get more lights in the house. I said, take off your glasses. She said, oh my gosh, it's light in here. I said, that's what happens where you went sunglasses inside. So, so I had my mom, I had Aunt Gloria, I had Aunt Teresa, and then you had my grandpa. My grandpa would show up and my grandpa, who, whose name was Silvio Salvador Savior Matarazzo. That was my grandpa's name. Yeah. Silvio Salvador Savior Matarazzo and my grandma Adelia, they would show up. They looked like they just got off the boat from Italy. They lived decades in America and they stuck out like sore thumbs and they'd sit at the end of the table and they would just talk to everybody and everyone about why Italy was better than any other country in the world. They would say, we have the best food. We have the best woman. We have the best clothing. We have the best cars. Have you ever heard of Ferrari? I mean, they go on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And every single Christmas, we would have somewhere like almost 30 people at our house for this dinner. And it would be a time of joking. It would be a time of laughing. It'd be a time of eating. And it was crazy. It was crazy. And compared to most people's family traditions, it was utterly bizarre. But it was home. 
it was home. And every year, we would tell one of the stories of the time when my dad, my brother, myself, and my mom were all on a vacation in the Caribbean. And we were flying all the way back to Nork International Airport. And as we were coming to the airport, we got put into a holding pattern where we had to circle around the runway for almost an hour, hour and a half, because there was a lightning storm outside. And it was so freaky that when the thunder would strike, it would shake the plane and you'd see the lightning go right next to the wings as you look out the window. And as you were sitting there and you're trying to just keep calm and pass the time, you could hear a woman in coach. We were up in the front of the plane in first class. You could hear a woman in coach beginning to cry and scream. She's yelling. She's hyperventilating. She's freaking out. And then as I'm listening to this, it suddenly happened. This woman lost all control. She jumped up out of her seat in coach, ran up the aisle through first class and dove for the door and grabbed the hold of the handle. She grabbed the handle. The stewardess had to restrain her. They put her in the seat next to me. They had to buckle her down. They had to shut her mouth because she was screaming all types of profanities. I mean, she was like, get me beeping out. She's screaming, I want out. I got to get, I can't handle this. I'm going to this. I mean, she is freaking out. Well, we finally got the plane landed. They got her off in a straitjacket, and we finally deported. And when we deported, when we got off the plane, years later, year after year, we would tell the story at different family get-togethers, at different family gatherings. And here's the crazy part. We would tell the story so much that we would almost forget what it was like to actually be in the cabin of the plane, right? I mean, think about it. If she opened up that door, I would not be here today. My family would not be here today. They make movies about this type of stuff, right? We wouldn't be here today. But when we would tell the story, we would laugh and laugh and laugh as if it was some type of joke, right? Get this. I want you to get this. The story lost its severity over time. And I believe with everything in my heart, that's what's happened to the Christmas narrative when we share it in the church during this season. We have heard it so many times. We have seen it interpreted so many different ways. We have seen it on nativity scenes. We have seen it in school plays that we almost don't really grasp or understand what this truly was like for Mary and for Joseph. Now, with all of that said, I want to remind us of what we've been going over over the past couple of weeks. We have been speaking on different messages that dealt with women in the genealogy of Jesus up to this Christmas Sunday. And we talked about Ruth. We talked about Uriah's wife. And what did we say? We said that these women's character, their story, their life revealed to us something about Jesus and why he actually came into this world. And I want to stay in that type of linear thinking. And I want to look at the last woman in the genealogy, which is actually Jesus's mother, which is Mary. So, so get out your Bibles now. They're on your laps. Luke chapter one. And I want to read verses 26 through 38 together. Are you ready? All right, let's do this. Verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. 
Now, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Can we, can we say that together on three? On three. One, two, three. For no word from God. That's right. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Now there's a lot to unpack in that passage of scripture. But I want to remind you just for a second of how crazy this greeting must have been for Mary. Think about the danger. Think about the rejection that she was most likely going to go through having a baby in her womb that was there supernaturally. See, back in those days, if you were a Jewish woman and you were even accused of adultery, you were stoned to death on the spot under the law. And, Moses, and, and Mary knew this. She knew what would probably happen to her when people began to find out. In fact, she was probably thinking to herself, if somehow I could get out of the stoning, if I could hide away in a house where no one will ever see me, and Joseph was kind enough not to tell anybody, there's no way Joseph is going to stay with me unless God performs a miracle. She knew in her heart, he's going to divorce me. He's going to leave me. And I'm not going to be able to go home to my parents because they're most likely going to be ashamed of me. They themselves will tell the Jewish high court that I had done something that was scandalous and they would stone me anyways. So she's processing through all this as she's talking to the angel. So you have to understand something. In Bible times, women were not treated kindly. In fact, they were treated horrifically. And if you had some type of immorality in your life, it was a thousand times worse. So this idea of good news from Gabriel wasn't good news for Mary. It was very difficult news to begin to hear. But I want you to see how she responded because this blows me away. Look at what she says. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Now, what in the world did Mary mean when she said she was the Lord's servant? Well, T. Austin Sparks says it like this. He says this. He says, what Mary was saying and what she was agreeing to when she told the angel that she was the Lord's servant is she was saying, I would be willing to be the vessel to bring God back into the world. See, get this. God was pushed out of the world through Adam's disobedience in the garden. Man had made the decision to go his own way. And in doing so, he took himself out from underneath the covering of God. He took himself out from under the joy of God. He took himself out from the presence of God, the protection of God. And he chose to go at things alone. And God knew deep in his own heart that man was ultimately going to destroy himself and destroy every relationship that he was ever going to have through this choice that he was making to go at things alone. But because because God is love, even though his own creation rejected him, God made the decision to break through, to come back into the world in the most humble and awe-inspiring way you could ever imagine. But in order to do it, he was going to need a vessel of faith. 
See, that's what Mary was saying. That's what she was doing when she says to Gabriel, I am the Lord's servant. What she was saying is, I am willing to surrender my life even though it looks pretty rough ahead. I am willing to surrender everything that I got in order to bring God back into the world, to bring God back into the human existence and experience one more time. And here's the thing the Lord began to share with me this week. This calling to bring God back is not just for Mary, it's for all of us. I mean, this is what we have surrendered to. This is what we gave up our life as Christians, right? We want to see the kingdom of God that is in heaven come to earth. We want to see God come back into our homes. God come back into our families. God come back into our lives. We want to see literally spiritually dead people brought back to life, no? We want to see spiritually blind people begin to see. We want to see people healed. We want to see people set free. We want to see them filled with joy. We want to see them filled with the presence of God. This is the calling, right? This is what we've become Christians for. Say, that is what we desire more than anything in our hearts. See, get this. I want you to understand something. Our eyes as believers have been supernaturally opened by the Spirit of God to be able to see the spiritual death and the destruction that came into the world through pushing God out of the world. And there's a cry that's welling up inside of us. Any honest Christian knows what I'm talking about. I hear it on Wednesday. I hear it on Sunday. I hear it in my office when I'm counseling people. It's a cry saying, God, use my life. Use my life in my workplace. Use my life at my school. Use my life in my neighborhood. Use my life at my church to become this beachhead that begins to bring your presence and your power back. But listen to me. This wasn't and isn't an easy calling. It isn't easy to bring God back. Why? Because it takes an immeasurable amount of faith. It takes the hardest thing for the human condition. Prayer, easy. I can pray, you can pray. Read my word, easy. I can read my word. Sacrifices, to be honest, in the flesh, most of the time, is okay, I could do that. But to believe God, to trust him, to say his ways are higher than my ways, to go through everything in my life and believe that he has a plan, that he's leading in his direct, that, that, listen to me, that ain't easy. Remember, this Christmas story has been told so many times and with such romanticism that we jump over some of the most serious details. Mary was only a teenager at this point. She's a teenager. And she's living in a culture where it's not cool to be a woman. I mean, back in Bible times, women were considered inferior to men. So much so, did you know this, that a woman's testimony couldn't even be used in court because a woman's word was seen as absolutely nothing. That, that's why the resurrection is so amazing. That's why it's so mind-blowing. Because the first people that God entrusted with the message that Jesus rose from the dead were women. That's how you can know this Bible was written by God and not by man. Nobody would have done that. They, they, they can't even say that in court. They can't even bring that to the Jewish high council. And these are the people that you're going to give the message that Jesus raised the dead and he's back to life? God entrusted the most important message in all of eternity 
to a people who had been marginalized and had been deemed as untrustworthy by everybody else. And you know what this is? This is God saying that women aren't just important in society. This is God saying that I'm gonna use women as much as men to be able to advance my kingdom. I'm using both of you. I'm using all of you. See, like I said before, this news from Gabriel had the potential to bring a lot of difficulty and pain and struggle to Mary's life. In other words, get this, I want you to get this. This calling to bring God back into the world had a lot of negativity wrapped up with it. Anytime you answer the call to bring God back to something, you say, you know what, I'm gonna bring God back into my own life. I'm gonna bring God back into my house. I'm gonna start getting up in the morning. I'm gonna start praying over my family. I'm gonna bring God back into this place. I'm gonna bring God back into my marriage. I'm gonna bring God back into my singleness. I'm gonna bring God back into my church. I feel like he's been pushed out of churches. I'm gonna bring God back here. I'm gonna start having prayer meetings. I'm gonna bring him back into my workplace. I'm gonna gather a few Christians together. We're gonna encourage each other every single morning. I'm gonna bring God back. I'm gonna bring God to the mission field, to unreached people groups, to places that nobody wants him, to India where all the Hindu gods have pushed it, our God out the door. I'm gonna bring him back. I'm gonna answer the call. I'm gonna go. Anytime you answer that call, I want you to understand something. There's gonna be a ton of negativity that you're gonna to have to face and that you're gonna to have to push through. That negativity is gonna come from people around you. That negativity is gonna come from the enemy. That negativity is gonna come from your own heart. That negativity is gonna come from other Christians. They're going to tell you how difficult it is to bring God back. They're going to say, we tried it. It didn't work. We did it for years. We can't seem to do it. It's a difficult thing to do. They're going to remind you of how little of God you have brought back so far. Well, look how much you have tried. Look how much you have given of your life. You still haven't brought him back. You still haven't brought him here. His life is still not manifesting the way it should. They're going to tell you all about your mistakes and all your failures. Say, look, you failed too many times. You made too many mistakes. You're not like a Pastor Michael. You're not like a so-and-so. You're not like this or that. And God can't use you anymore. You've crossed the line too much. You fail too much, whatever it might be. All you're ever going to hear, sometimes for seasons on end, is 100% continual negativity. It'll come at you at all angles. I know it from experience. People always ask me, what, what's it like being a pastor? They, they say it with like a smile, like it's exciting, right? Yay! And I, I tell, and I try to give them an example. This is how I give them an example. I do what I call my, my whiteboard example. I bring a whiteboard out. I say, let me show you what it's like being a pastor. And I take a black marker and I draw a black dot. And then I say this, what do you see? What do they say? I see a black dot. I said, interesting. Out of hundreds of people that I've asked, no one's ever said I saw all that whiteboard around that black dot. All I saw was the black dot. I said, welcome to pastoring. And listen to me, it's not a bad thing. I'm not, I'm not upset by it, but you get a group of people that are zealous for God. They're hungry for God. They're thirsty for God. They want to see a move of God. You get them in one room and then you have to lead. Let me tell you, everybody lines up and tells you every week everything that's going wrong in the church. Because they're zealous. They want to see God move. The spirit of God is not moving here. We don't do this right. We're not having this. We're not. And I'm not saying, listen, I'm not up here upset about that. I'm saying that's no, that's, there's good things. Like, yeah, we got to do that. Yeah, we got And most people never agree. So you got this camp who's saying we got to do this. We got this camp that says we got to do this. And they're all going in every single direction. And you're trying to work it all out. And then on top of it, as a pastor, people need to open up their hearts to you because you're there to give counsel. You're there to give prayer. So they begin to tell you everything going on in their 
lives, their marriages, their families, their kids, their singleness. They're telling, and if you're not careful, you'll end up going a week. You'll end up going a month. You'll end up going three months, sometimes six months, sometimes a full year, where every single day, all day long, 100%, 24-7, just negativity hitting you from every single angle. And listen to me, it can psychologically break you if you're not careful. You have to watch your spirit. You have to watch your mind. People get mad at me sometimes. I'm just going to be honest with you. Why can't you get me in this week to deal with my issues? Well, I have 40 other people that would need to get in this week. And to be honest, I can't carry anymore. It's got to go to next week. I have other pastors. I have other people. And I'm not ripping anybody apart. But you have to understand, you have to watch your mind. You have to watch your heart if you're going to have some longevity in a place of ministry. Now, anybody in leadership understands this. You run a business you take care of at home. You're a parent. Parents know this more than anything. Every single week, you come against all your failures and your mistakes and what you feel like you screwed up with. Every single week, you're in a place feeling like I'm surrounded by the consequences of things that I've done in the past or haven't done right or haven't prayed enough or haven't. The enemy is screaming at you. Your children are screaming at you. You're screaming at yourself because you feel ashamed of some things and, and you feel this weight, this constant place of negativity that is just snuffing you. It's on top of you. Any place where God has called you to bring Jesus back into the world is always filled with a ton of negativity. That is a rule in life. It's like gravity. It's like anything else. You're going to experience it. And this is what's amazing to me. Somehow Mary rises above it and she pushes through all the negativity. And she ends up being used by God to bring God back, to bring Jesus back, to bring life back. Jesus was the life of men. She brought life to herself. She brought life to her husband. She brought life to her home. She brought life to her community. Think about Nazareth. Think about how it was changed because she didn't allow the negativity to beat her down and hold her back, but she pushed up against it. She pushed up through it until she broke through, until she said, let it be done unto me because I am the Lord's servant. I'm not going to let what my fears and what people are telling me and what I'm thinking about get me down. I'm going to go forward. And because she made that decision, life came into the world. Life came to her people, the nation of Israel. Life came to us 2,000 years later because of her willingness to rise above the negativity. Let me put this up on the screen so you could see it. That's what faith is. Faith, get this, is pushing past the negativity and then get this, and seeing what God is doing before you physically see it. Do you understand? It's being able to look past everything in front of you that says it's impossible. All the words, oh, your kids can never live for God. Oh, they've tried so hard. They fell off the wagon so many times. You brought them to church. It's been the fourth time of them rededicating their lives. They're never, you're never going to get married. God put the desire in your heart. It's never going to happen. In my singleness, God can never provide. He can provide for everybody else. He cannot provide for me. Right? It's pushing past what you see in the physical and taking the promise that God has given you and seeing it despite what's in front of your own eyes. Faith is seeing it before you see it. Christians have to understand we live and we operate by faith. 
See, we're never going to bring God into our situations, into our homes, into our own lives. We're never going to bring God to our nation, God to our community, God to the mission field until we get to a point where we make the decision that even though there's all this negativity around me, I'm looking through it. I'm looking past it and I'm seeing it before I even see it. Hebrews 11 says this, watch this, verse 1 through 10. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not. What? What? I thought faith is like I see a, a little bit of seed of grass here and I see something growing here and I see a little bit of some progress here and I see a little. No, sometimes, uh-uh, uh-uh. It's utter assurance of something that sometimes you don't see. You don't get to see it with your own eyes. Doesn't mean that God is not faithful. Doesn't mean that God is not working. You don't get to see it with your eyes. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Who's ever felt that before? I'm obeying God. I have no idea where I'm going. I know there's something at the end. He's giving me a few promises. I'm obeying him. I'm praying. I'm seeking. I'm engaging. I got no idea where I'm going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were his heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking, oh, he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Think about the negativity that this man had to walk through. He gets into this new land. He's got to take his nephew with him. His nephew's all jealous. He's got to go down to Sodom and Gomorrah. Then he gets ransacked. He gets taken. Then he's got to fight against five kings in the land and win, win his nephew back. Then his herdsmen are getting in fight with other herdsmen. He's got to split everything up. Then he digs wells. He's digging wells. And people come and they, they take his well. Do you understand a well back then was like your savings account in your bank? It's like I saved my savings account, then someone came and took it. It was the support for everything in your life. Water was the absolute necessity of civilization. He's digging wells, and people are stealing wells from him everywhere he goes, and he's just sitting in this land. And you could see there seems to be no, no real proof of God working. It's just this place of constant negativity. But the scripture says he looked past it. He didn't look at the wells. He didn't look at the tent that he had to go back to every single night. He didn't look at his nephew and what a bonehead he was at times. He didn't look at any of that. He looked past that. And he was looking for a city whose architecture and builder was God himself. He said, there are foundations out there that I can see that other people don't see that are leaving me to rise above this negativity to be able to come into the promise that God swore to me from the day that he showed up and he revealed himself to me. Back to Luke chapter 1, verse 39 through 45, and we'll begin to close. Look at this. It says this. In verse 39, it says, At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled, filled with the Holy Spirit. So now she's prophesying. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And then look what she prophesies. Blessed is she 
who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Elizabeth says, blessed is she who believes that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. You know what Elizabeth was saying? Elizabeth was saying, Mary, you've got to understand there was a lot of negativity that came with that promise. There was a lot of situations that didn't look good, that looked overwhelming, that looked scary, and you didn't know how God was going to get you through all that. You still don't know how God is going to get you through all of that. And yet you made the choice. You were intentional to believe God despite it. And then Elizabeth says this, because you did that, she's literally saying, because you did that, you made that choice. You know what she says? You are blessed. Now that word blessed in the original Greek isn't the word that we use commonly in the church. When we say blessed, we mean like, oh, highly favored of God. You favored of God, you blessed. That's not what that word means. That word blessed in the original Greek actually means to become all that God intended you to be. It means to be healed and strengthened in all your human capacities, in your mind, in your emotions, in your spirit, in your psychology, in your social life, in the culture around you. It means to be utterly and completely transformed. Listen to what Elizabeth is actually saying. She's saying this. She's saying, Mary, when you push past all that negativity in faith and really believed God, when you saw what God was calling you to before you could see it in the physical, that faith transformed you and it healed you. You're not the same woman I knew. You're not the same young girl. Something has changed. God has done something in you through your faith, through your willingness to believe despite what you saw with your own eyes. Your willingness to push up past the negativity. Your willingness to say, no, if God says I'm going to bring God into this world, it's going to happen. And I don't know about you, but here's the question that I kind of wrestled with this last week because I, I, I want this type of faith. I want to rise above the negativity. I want to rise above all the questions and the doubts in my own heart and the enemy that's drawing at me and everybody else who doesn't believe. I want to rise above it. I, I don't want to be like Zachariah. Zachariah got a message and he didn't believe God. He got the exact same message. He said, Elizabeth's going to be with child. He says, that ain't going to happen. And you know what the angel said? Because of that, you lose your voice. And we have a church age who refuse to believe God and they've lost their voice. They don't got a voice in this culture. They don't have a voice in this society. They don't believe God can transform lives anymore. They've lost their voice. And I don't know about you. I don't want to lose my voice. I want my voice. I want an authority when I speak. I want to pray over people, see them get healed. I want the life of God. So my question was, where did she get this faith that she could rise above the negativity and not lose her voice? And then the Lord began to open it to me. It came from two places. And I want you to write these down. Number one, I'll put it up on the screen. She took the time and made the intentional choice to think it out. She thought it out. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 28 through 29. It says this. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Now, I don't know about you, but if an angel showed up on a Sunday morning down here at the altar time when I'm up here praying to the Lord, and he gave me this crazy greeting, and he said something along the lines like, hey, Michael, just want you to know you're highly favored by God, and God is with you. I wouldn't be listening to anything else he had to say. 
I'd be doing car wheels. I'd be thinking, I've been praying for that for years. Years. I needed some type of sign that God was with me. I knew it from the word. I've had people tell it to me. I've heard prophets tell it to me. Okay, I got it. I got it. I got it. But I've gone through a season where I feel like God has just withdrawn from me. I've been in a wilderness and I needed a sign. I needed a fleece. I needed something where I could definitely know. And now I have a visual apparition right in front of me. I have an angel standing there telling me that God is with me, that God favors me. I'd be thinking like, oh, Gabriel, you don't got to say anything else. I'm good. I'm good. That's all I need. Tell God, thank you. I'll be seeing him at the second coming. That's, that's what I would have said. Right? And then get this, that would have been my response, but that wasn't Mary's response. She didn't have just an emotional outburst from the experience. No, 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 no. Get this. The Bible says she sits there, she hears it, and then she begins to what? Take time to wonder. Now, that word wonder in the original Greek, it's, it's kind of crazy because that word wonder actually means to logic through something. It actually means, get this, to furiously analyze. See, you better believe that Mary was experiencing all types of emotions through that greeting. In fact, the angel said what to her? Don't be afraid. I mean, she was excited, she was surprised, she was afraid, she was anxious, all at the same exact time. But here's the important part. Mary made the choice not to let her emotions alone inform her faith. She says, that's good, I'm glad I had emotions, I had an experience, and I'm not saying that's a good thing, but that alone wasn't gonna inform her faith. No, 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 she took the time to say, okay, now I'm gonna wonder. Now I'm gonna furious analyze, what does this exactly mean for me? I'm gonna logically think through why the angel's here, what he's actually saying, what this is actually all about. I'm gonna think this through. See, when God calls you to bring Jesus into some place or situation in your life, and he gives you a promise of what he's gonna do through you, get this, I want you to understand this. Your emotions are gonna be all over the map from day to day. Okay, there are gonna be some days you are on cloud nine. You come into the church and literally you sense the presence and favor of God. You're smiling from me to your, God's got it. God's doing it. God, well, everything's a mess out there. The nation said, oh, God's got it. God's got it. You're going to be on cloud. And then there are going to be other days where you're going to be hiding in your bathroom closet, crying to yourself, hoping nobody comes in so they don't see what a mess you are. Right? It's going to go up and down. That's just who we are as creatures. That's how our emotions actually work. And if, get this, if the only thing that informs your faith are your emotions, then your faith is going to go up and down. Some days it's going to be strong. Some days it's going to be low. Some days you're rising above the negativity. Some days the negativity is rising above you. And you can't break through. You can't see what God actually wants you to see because you're on a roller coaster ride all the time in your life. See, what a person, a Christian, a believer in Christ has to do when they're going through those types of seasons is they need to carve out time. Time in their week where they sit down with their journal. They sit down with their Bible. And they begin to reread all the promises that God has spoken to them in the past. They begin to think about, where was I when I received that word? Where was I when I received that promise? Bring back the scriptures that God has given you for your family, for your children, for your singleness. Bring back the scriptures when he called you to plant a business in the community and you feel like everything's falling apart. You gotta go back. You gotta find the word of God. You gotta start thinking it through of what he said. And then you gotta start reading through through the rest of the week different examples in the Bible that were given promises to God and how God brought those promises about. 
How did he do it in Abraham? How did he do it in Joseph? How did he do it in Joshua? How did he do it in Samuel? How did he do it in David? How did he do it? How did he do it? You should be reading through those examples and thinking about the processes of how God actually works. Then you get into the Psalms. Woo. I've been in the Psalms every night this last month. I'm doing 10 Psalms a night, 10 Psalms before I go to bed. I'm reading through, and I'm thinking about the wonders of God, the marvels of God, the greatness of God, the glories of God, the majesty of God. And let me tell you something. You take a week or a month to actually do that, to carve out that type of time, to logic through, to wonder about these things, to reread them, to study. Let me tell you something. In a week, sometimes a little bit longer, two weeks, sometimes a month if it takes that, but suddenly this faith is going to start rising up in your heart. Suddenly there's going to be a boldness and a strength that you didn't have before where the negativity is not holding you back, where it's not keeping you down, but you begin to push through it in the most miraculous ways. Mary was a teenager. She was a kid. This was daunting. But she took the time to wonder. And as she was in that greeting wondering, the faith started to rise. Let it be done unto me. I'm his servant. I'm his servant. It will be done. Number one. You got to take the time to think. You got to take the time to wonder. But number two, this type of faith comes from, listen to this, and I'll put it up on the screen, from surrendering to the process. Where did she get this faith? She surrendered to the process. You know, one of the reasons I was so excited to get married one day and eventually have children, oh, I just, I wanted to have kids. It wasn't because kids are cute. It wasn't because I was excited to have a son or a daughter. It wasn't because I get to teach them some things or I think it would cool or watch them learn or grow up in life. None of that. Do you want to know why I wanted to have kids? Because I had a dream. This was my dream growing up, that one day I would have a child that I would get the opportunity to name Helicopter. I know you're laughing. It isn't a joke. I literally wanted to name my first child Helicopter. I told my mom in college, I'm going to name my first son Heli. You're going to have a grandson named Helicopter. And you should have saw her. Like literally eyes popping out of her head, deer stuck in headlights. She's like, you can't name your kid Helicopter. I said, well, can't name my kid Helicopter. Well, think of his nickname, Hell. I said, all right, I'll get, I told her, I said, I'll give you that one. Yes, Hell's not the best name to give a kid. But, but, he goes in for a job interview and two resumes are sitting on a desk and they're both equal. Who's the guy going to pick? The normal guy named John or Helicopter? I want a helicopter in the office just to say the name. I was like, I'm setting this kid up for life. But my mom and my dad, they, they told me, I can't name my kid helicopter. Then my aunt got into the argument. She got into the conversation. She said, there's no way you can name your kid helicopter. I said, Aunt Teresa, I love you. You're not my mom. Be quiet. And she kept on yelling at me. Everybody's yelling at me. It got so bad. Every time I came home, they didn't even want to know how my week was or what was going. Just, they would go right into it. You're not naming your kid helicopter. It ain't going to happen. We ain't going to let it happen. We'll steal that kid away. We'll give it up to adoption. You're not going to have this child. We're not going to let you abuse him this way. I mean, they're freaking out. It was so bad that my mom started telling random strangers at like the grocery store. Like she'd be up at the counter saying, my kid wants to name his kid helicopter. And they would freak out. So they would freak out so bad. They'd ask for my phone number. Then I was getting random texts from random strangers about why I can't name my kid helicopter. I'd say, mom, who's this guy, Dave? She's like, oh, I met him literally on an airplane coming back from Washington, D.C. I was like, you told him I was going to name my kid helicopter? 
It went on and on and on and on. And Beth finally got, we finally got married and she got pregnant. We're about to have our first kid. And I was going to break the news to my wife. (laughs) I've been holding this as a surprise over the last two and a half years. So we're about to have the kid. And I sit down with my wife and I say, I want you to know what his name's going to be because it's going to be good. And she goes, okay, this better be really good. I said, it's going to be helicopter. Oh my gosh. Oh my God, counseling for like weeks on end. I mean, literally, she's like, you do that again. I never mentioned this word, but I will mention divorce. That is it. I said, honey, we don't do divorce. We're Christians. She says, no, no, no. God gives me a release under those circumstances. That's what she said. So I'm sitting there. I'm trying to convince her. I can't convince her. So my first son, his name is Land and Sky. Land and Sky. I couldn't get helicopter, but I thought I'd get close. I said, okay, land in sky. So we're about to have our second son. We're about to have our second son. And I said, honey, honey, I've been a good husband. I've taken care of you. I've provided for you. I pray for you. I love you. And this is a boy. You want a daughter. We got another boy. Let me name him helicopter. She says, no way. You're not going to name him helicopter. I said, all right. You can name him Max Racer. I said, I'll take it. I'll take Max Racer. Third one, our daughter. I said, honey, I got the name. She said, oh, no, 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 no. Not with a daughter. She says, I get to name this one. You name the last two. Her name will be Daly. And I walked away. I was like, all right, no helicopter. And every single night before we go to bed, after my wife is exhausted from nursing and taking care of all the kids and she's at her wit's end, I tell her every single night, just, just one more. Do it one more time for helicopter. She makes it clear. No way. We are closed for business. It is done. See, what was amazing is when Gabriel showed up and talked to Mary, you know what's amazing? He told him the name of the child. You will name him Jesus. This is probably the first baby in all of history that the parents didn't name. You know what's crazy? Jesus actually named himself because that message came from God. And you know what the angel Gabriel was actually saying to Mary when she said that you're going to name him and his name's going to be Jesus? You know what he's saying? He's saying, listen to me. You don't manage him. He manages you. You could bring him into this world. You could bring God into this world. You could bring him into your life. You could have him, but you don't manage him. He manages you. See, there are seasons we as Christians go through such negativity as we're trying to bring God into our situations, into our families, into our world. And sometimes we just want to say, God, this process is too hard. It's too overwhelming. But there comes a point like Peter Jesus was out teaching all his different disciples with these large crowds of people, and he's telling them, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. Everybody leaves. Everybody goes, say, this got weird. This got freaky. And then he turns to Peter. He says, you going to leave me too? And what did Peter say? He said, you have the words of eternal life. Where else do I go? Do you know what Peter is saying? I don't always understand the process. Your ways are crazy, Jesus. We had crowds of people. We were making an impact, and you dismissed them all with that nut job comment. You could have worked them into it. You could have got to eat a pig maybe first before you talked about eating another human. The Jews, we could do, but none of that. He says, you, you could have done it one, but you did it another. And then he looks at him, but he says, but you have the words of eternal life. I don't always understand, but where else am I going to go? Let me tell you something. When you deal with negativity as a Christian and you're overwhelmed and you feel like you have a promise from God and you're trying to push through, sometimes the way to be able to get the faith and the strength to continue is just to come back into a place of surrender. 
Say, God, I don't always understand it. I thought it'd be like this, and I thought you were going to do this. I prayed this way, and you changed the direction. It didn't happen the way that I thought. But you know what? You have the words of eternal life. Where else am I going to go? I am your servant. Let it be done unto me as you say. Let it be done as you see. And when you get to that place of surrender, there's a faith that begins to well up in your heart again. There's a boldness and a strength that begins to well up in your heart again. And you find yourself pushing past and pushing through the negativity. It begins to give you strength in areas where you felt weak. Stand with me, Springs Church. This morning, I thought we would take a time just to have communion. And I thought we would use this communion element for two things. If you don't have it, the ushers will come around. You just raise your hand. They'll bring you a communion element. But I thought we would do it for two things. Number one, we would take time to think and to wonder. What has God spoken to you? What promise has he given to you? What scriptures has he given to you? What has he said in your life? What are some things that you're holding on to? I want in this communion time for you to talk to God about that. Say, God, I'm remembering, I'm wondering, I'm logically thinking through things. And then number two, this communion could be a, literally a symbol of our surrender one more time. To say, you know what, God? Pastor Michael's right. I've been called to bring God back into the world, but I have hit a whole slew of negativity, and it's been eating me up and killing me, but I want to surrender to you one more time. I want to say, you know what you're doing, even though I don't understand it, and I'm yielded to you. I'm yielded to you. You're mine. I'm surrendering. I'm saying it with my lips, and I'm opening up my heart, and I believe as we do that in this communion today, the Holy Spirit is going to begin to come, and the Holy Spirit is going to give fresh faith. The Holy Spirit is going to give fresh enablement and we are going to rise above the negativity just like Mary did. And listen to me, we're going to walk it out and we're going to bring the life of Jesus back into this world, back into our marriages, back into our families, back into our homes, back into our work environments, back into our communities, back to the mission field, back to our nation, to the streets of our different cities. We're going to pray. We're going to believe. We're going to bring Jesus back. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to have them lead us in just a time of worship where we're going to sing, Oh, come all you faithful. We're going to sing together. And then I want you to make your own altar where you're at. Maybe it's in your seat. Maybe you want to come up to the front and you just want to kneel down in front of God. Maybe you want to do it with your family. Gather an altar with your family. And I want you to take these elements and say, with these elements, we're going to begin to wonder. We're going to remember. I'm going to speak maybe with your family. Say, here's a promise God gave me. What about you? What did God speak to you that you forgot? What scripture has he given you? And you take a time to remember. And then for others who need to, we'll take a time just to surrender. We'll take these elements and say, we surrender to you today and we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to begin to minister. Amen. So let's sing together and then we'll take that time. Hallelujah. Thanks again for listening to our Springs Church podcast. For other exciting content from Springs Church, be sure to visit us online at springs.church. If you'd like to partner financially with Springs Church, you have the opportunity to give by visiting the give tab of our website, springs.church.